Hey, Schmazettes, you're listening to Listen. Listen with Patty and Emily. I'm Patty. And I'm Emily. Five, six, seven, eight. Patty and Emily most obsessively talking about all your favorite Broadway shows. Patty and Emily thoughts and comedy from Broadway super fans. From Broadway super fans. Today we have Molly Pope with us. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> no, it's good afternoon. Well, it feels afternoon like now. morning because it's daylight it savings time. It definitely feels right? like morning. Yeah. When I was little, I thought that uh, daylight savings time kept happening every night, and I thought it was really unfair <laughs> that in the spring you lost an hour of sleep every night, but then it was really awesome <laughs> in the fall when you just like got an extra hour every night. That's hilarious. You would just, I, I don't even know how that would work. No, but yeah. I'm, I've never been well, too concerned with logic. Yeah, well, <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know Molly, which is... A travesty. Yep. She's fucking awesome. Yep. I think usually when we talk about Molly, we say Molly fucking Pope. Molly fucking Pope. (laughs) That's not my middle name. (laughs) (laughs) We'll start out with Yeah, we're going to start out with our 10 questions that we ask everybody. I have not been prepped on these questions, so this is raw, unedited responses. So kind of top of your head sort of thing. Okay. All right. Uh, Do you know Beth Level? Personally, Yes. And I know who she is. And yes, I did the 54 Below Hello Dolly concert with her. Amazing. Amazing. Jealous. We will love her. What show do you most want revived? Mame. Yes. Yeah. Good choice. Uh, Have you ever fallen asleep on stage while pretending to be asleep or dead on stage? No. Oh. No. I was just thinking that might have actually happened in horseplay, but... You didn't fall asleep. Oh, I thought you meant the... Never mind. (laughs) No, no, never. And never during that show. What's your favorite Broadway house? The Music Box. Dreamcast us in a show. Dreamcast... Wait. (laughs) Off the top of my head? Yeah. Grey Gardens. Yes! (gasps) Wait, who gets to play who? I think it would be like a True West where you would switch off every night. Yeah, that makes sense. That's fair. That's great. Um... You. Do you read reviews? Yes. What is the show you've seen the most? Um, I don't know, because I generally only see a show. Are we talking like productions anywhere? Yeah. Um, Yeah, Not necessarily. I don't even know. I feel like I rarely. Oh, no. Passing Strange. Mm. (gasps) God. Yeah. How many times did you see it? I saw it. Well, only four times, but I saw it twice at the public Mm. and twice on Broadway. Nice. Who do you fangirl over? Elaine Stritch. <gasps> oh, yeah. Did you ever get to meet her? There's a, there's a brief video of me fangirling on Elaine Stritch. Amazing. <sighs> it's very brief. And uh, it was at a screening of uh, Shoot Me. So it was fairly recent. Um, and I did see her do At Liberty at the Carlisle and oh. briefly fangirled out on her after that. Amazing. Got a perfunctory squeeze of the arm. Oh, <laughs> that was it. That's amazing. That's fantastic. Jealous. Mm. On a scale of one to ten, how awful is the Broadway World message board? I have only visited it when one of my friends has said, hey, somebody talked about you, so I don't spend any time on it unless it's about me, which (laughs) actually applies to a lot of things. (laughs) If I'm not primarily concerned in it, I don't know if I'm going to care. Comps in a time machine, what would you see? If I had comps to anything and I had a time machine? Mm -hmm. I would say Glass Menagerie with Lorette Taylor. Oh. I've heard, like, it was kind of, and, you know, it was before film, so it's not even, like, something that we could go watch somewhere. But uh, what's that uh, Golden Age of Broadway thing on PBS? But I just, that section Mm -hmm. when everybody talks about it, that it apparently was just indescribable and unbelievable. Hmm. So, yes, I mean, definitely before video. And I think that would be pretty tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. Those are our questions. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> That's it. We forgot to tell you our podcast is five minutes long. Yep. Hey, it would, it would sell. <laughs> Thanks for coming all the way to Midtown. <laughs> That's but the main reason that we have you here, aside from you being awesome, is yeah. that you have a show coming up. Well, a, a series of shows, I guess. Yes. At the Duplex. I do. I do. Um, it's called Molly Pope Likes Your Status. Um, I put my name in the title of every show 
even though uh, that doesn't necessarily help sell a show. <laughs> People are like, oh, that's great, but I'm so glad that we're introducing Molly Pope, but I don't really know who she is. <laughs> Perhaps that's why the show is called Introducing Molly there Pope. You go. But I <laughs> digress. So um, Molly Pope Lecture Status, my friend Drew Brody gave me the uh, idea for the title, and he also gave me sort of the tagline. <laughs> <laughs> which is Molly Pope finally gets the attention she so desperately craves. That's great. <laughs> and um, the show that I had been doing intermittently prior to this was Molly Pope, okay? Um, That's my favorite of the titles. Mm. That one came from Dan Fishback. Because, you know, I mean, who doesn't love a title with punctuation, let alone like Absolutely. multiple yes. instances yes. of punctuation? Yeah. It's Molly Pope, comma, okay, question mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to try it out monthly. I have, I'm really, ter- really terrible at self-promotion um, and really terrible at just sort of having a career in a lot of ways. I didn't decide <laughs> to book a show until two weeks ago. I was like, hey, at the, you know, I emailed the duplex and I was like, hey, do you have a like Friday free? And they said, yes, Friday the 13th. And I said, great, let's do it. I really like the duplex because it's so small and intimate. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to feel lost in other spaces, and it's also uh, fiscally the most beneficial. Mm. So Molly Pope likes your status. Um, Loosely concerning, uh, well, my rampant need for attention, but also my unfortunate relationship with social media, which I know a lot of people, I hope a lot of people share that I'm not alone in the obsessive sort of ping pong between apps on your phone Mm. and that need for me it's it's a it's a need to it's that need to know that someone was paying attention to me even for the split second it Mm -hmm. took to click like and instead of trying to deny that or change that I think with this show I'm just like no that is what it is and uh the press release said something about uh, shedding all pretense of humility and just begging you to come <laughs> and watch me run around on a stage for an hour. Because, you know, why Why pretend that it's anything but that? So I'm still actively uh, deciding on set list and then content aside from the set list. And a big question is, do I want this to be an entirely new show? Am I going to do any material that I've done before? I don't know. Hmm. I haven't answered that yet. As an audience member, it's a hard it's a hard question to even answer because obviously we've seen you in a few shows and I wanna see all the things that you can do in you know yeah, that actually, new, I was thinking new of- things, but then also that mashup that you do, the singer the singer oh. of the song and I, I don't know what I the will other wait for you. Is, yeah. is fucking life changing. Yeah. It's beautiful. Seriously. And I, I would never want to see a show that you didn't sing that in. But at the same time, <laughs> if I had to sacrifice that for hearing you sing something else amazing, well, I, th- I, thought I don't about know what that. to do. So true. <laughs> On my way down here today, I was like, hey, Maul, don't flatter yourself. Not that many people have seen your shows. So there are plenty of people who haven't seen everything that you've done. So that, that, that is a point well taken and uh, makes my life easier. I certainly don't think I've ever been to a show of anyone where I've been like, oh, they're singing this song again. That's true. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think. Never. No. See, I'm just so cynical and bitter and judgmental <laughs> of myself, though, because I, I wouldn't judge anyone else. I wouldn't judge anyone Isn't else by a, those standards. Isn't that a weird thing? And that's mm. really challenging, actually, right now, uh, putting this show together because I keep judging myself at every step. Mm. Like, what I want to sing for the last song, half of me is like, Ugh, what an eye roll. Like, why could it be more cliche? And then the other half of me is like, fuck it. That's what it is. And I would like to think that I am of sufficient talent that I would any eye roll would be forgiven because mm. I can actually pull it off. There's a lot of talking in my head all the time. <laughs> There's a lot of talking. Well, we think you can do no wrong, so. Thanks. Absolutely. You guys and my mom. <laughs> yeah. And my dad. Yeah. That's nice. It's funny. Who do you think would play your parents in a musical version of your life? So one of our favorite things to do is cast our parents in our oh, musical yeah. shows of our lives. Well, can we time travel? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Ozzy and Harriet. Oh, I'm, I'm super old timey. Like, well, yeah. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> yeah. Laura uh, in the glass you, of Ozzy and Harriet. If you come to any of Molly Pope's shows, you'll see that the second you, you hear her yeah, sing. It's, it's, it's pretty uh, uh, ingrained. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ozzy and Harriet, because mm. they are 
fun and it is good clean fun yeah and they are warm and fuzzy and i got all the recessive genes <laughs> all of them who did we decide would play your mom deborah monk oh yeah deborah monk oh. yeah and my mom would be judy kuhn yeah oh nice yeah. oh okay well hmm i don't know in terms of currently in rotation i don't know i feel like a becky ann baker oh yeah Definitely. Yeah. I could see that. I think so. Mm. Amazing. No, no. Anita Gillette. Anita Gillette. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Love it. I'll get real specific. <laughs> I'll get real specific. <laughs> Have you always had like a love of uh, uh, past generations or is it something that is a more recent development that you think? No, definitely always. I had a very close relationship with my grandma, my maternal grandmother. Um, her name was Dolores. She went by Dolly. And when I hit adolescence, I spent a lot of time just hanging out with her. So it was, in a lot of ways, not a familial relationship, mm-hmm. but more of we felt more like contemporaries or just really good friends. I used to say, you know, I should have been born when she was born. Mm-hmm. And I grew up listening to uh, the Great American Songbook, not just mm-hmm. uh, from her, but my mom also listened to it a lot. And, you know, Turner Classic Movies, Ad Nauseam. So it, and I, I thought I, when I was little, I thought I was going to be an Olympic swimmer. So I didn't start doing theater until high school. And so all of this sort of marinating in, I'd say kind of like mid 20th century Americana, Mm -hmm. um, particularly show business. So it was never like intentionally something I was storing up for performing it. Just, uh, you know, the way I sing, which, you know, we didn't, nobody Nobody knew I could sing until I was uh, 15 and I opened my mouth. That's and this, crazy. This really big sound came out, you know, which is, and, you know, natural talent is great. But as I have learned over the past several years, God, do you need technique? Because I yeah. didn't have technique for so long. And two, almost three years ago, I had a massive vocal hemorrhage and almost Whoa. just totally lost my voice because... Um, I didn't have a good grounding in vocal technique and just had been muscling. And surprise, surprise, when you hit your 30s, suddenly... <laughs> you don't bounce back as Yeah, easily. you don't bounce back <laughs> and you just injure stuff. Yeah, old timiness, uh, always, kind of from uh, day one. Where do you get all your amazing dresses? Oh, because you that's a always look good on question. I have been amassing a vintage collection for easily 10 years. Amazing. And I've had to purge a lot because, you know, with vintage, you can, well, like when I started putting together a collection, I found uh, an Oscar de la Renta that I may wear on Friday for $35 at Housing Works. I mean, it's like an 1980s Oscar de la Renta. It's amazing. It's pretty fantastic. But, you know, like Housing Works, you can't. Uh, it's it's very expensive now. Not that I mind giving Housing Works the money. Sure. That is not the point. The point is... uh, Times have changed. It's it's the difference between something being used and being vintage. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. But I have a read on, I'd say, probably 90% of all the vintage stores in New York City, mm. and I know where I can still find stuff. The key, as I have learned, is being able to, if you're looking at a giant rack, spot the fabric. Because mm. like vintage oh. fabrics and patterns and stuff – can jump out sure. really quickly. So if you're somewhere that has a lot of mixed, just used clothing and vintage, mm-hmm. the ability to sort of scan a rack and be like, that mm. is a vintage fabric. Mm. That's yeah, a, there was that's one time, a good speaking skill. of housing works, <laughs> I was in the housing works in Hell's Kitchen and there were like four little old grandmas in front of this rack and I spotted a sleeve <laughs> and I reached in past them and pulled out this amazing glittery plaid 1970s I don't know how to describe what occasion you would wear it on. And they were so pissed. <laughs> they were pissed. Oh, it was probably one of theirs. Maybe. They came, they came, <laughs> yeah, they came for looking it. for they came it. Looking for it. That's hilarious. I can't believe you didn't start singing till you were 15. Yeah, that's amazing. Did you do a lot of theater in high school? I did. I took a musical theater class in junior high. And, you know, like I could carry a tune. I was in choir whatever. But I didn't really think of theater as something I could do uh, until freshman year of high school. Um, I joined the the swim team, but I wasn't like the best swimmer. And I didn't really like feeling the feeling of not, I didn't like the inequality of attention Mm. given amongst Mm. the different skill levels. 
Um, and it happened to coincide with uh, a very unfortunate episode in my life. Um, I, uh, gosh, it's so funny to talk about this and know like people I don't know are going to hear this. I have no shame about it. I, when I was an adolescent, had several suicide attempts. So freshman year of high school was the most serious one. And I wound up in the hospital again. And when I got out, um, and there were postings on the walls at school for the spring musical. And I'm from uh, the greater Pittsburgh area, southwestern Pennsylvania. Gene Kelly's from Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. They're the Gene Kelly Awards. There are (laughs) awards for high school musicals, which actually, uh, when my sister was there, they stopped participating because they did this production of West Side Story that was wonderful. Like, what production of West Side Story isn't wonderful? (laughs) But that when they didn't win awards, that the kids came to the, you know, the band director and were saying, were we just not good? And they said, we're not doing this anymore. Uh, if yeah. the fact, mm. if, 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 you know. Yeah. So they weren't doing it by the time uh, I was there, but musicals are a huge deal. So um, I auditioned, I took, I took a voice lesson and I auditioned and lo and behold, I was cast as Dolly Levi and Hello Dolly. Amazing. <sighs> tender Destiny. age of 15. <laughs> Great high school show. Tender <laughs> age of 15. <laughs> right? Incredible. Right? Oh uh, double cast, of course. Of course. Ah, sure, I mean, sure. Come on. Let's be, yeah. let's be, let's be realistic. And that was what started me doing theater. Yeah. And then uh, sophomore year, I was Miss Adelaide, triple Cast. Oh, how many performances were there? I only got to do two performances as Miss Adelaide. That's crazy. God, have I paid my dues. And then (laughs) junior year, we did Carousel, and I threw my official first diva fit because there was not a clear role for me in Carousel. Mm. I mean, I could sing Carrie, but they just didn't see me as a Carrie, so I was cast as a uh, Mrs. Mullen. Is it Mullins or Mullen who owns the carousel? I don't actually know carousel that well. Either. And I felt so crappy that uh, my boobs weren't big enough. I felt like she would have like cleavage. So what I did, because I didn't know any better. I think the first time I did it, I actually took like uh, duct tape and taped myself so I could actually have cleavage. <laughs> and... Um, so, oh, senior year. Duh. Come on, Molly. Senior year we did MAME. Oh, uh, and I was Amazing. single cast. Yes. <gasps> and I had 14 <gasps> costume changes. Wow. What? And Mame's apartment had a working fountain. And our budget for a high school <laughs> musical was $35,000. What? And we raised more than that. Holy shit. Yeah, like high school musicals in the greater Pittsburgh area are no joke. Oh I God. read a book about a, um, a theater teacher. I th- It might have been, a. I don't know Pennsylvania super well, but it was like, Blue collar, which probably is a lot of Pennsylvania, <laughs> but um, he created this theater program out of nothing, and that's where they do a lot of the test runs of, of the high school versions of shows. Like oh, Rent, oh. Rent had its like test run there, and all of these kids, none of them, I shouldn't say not, very few of them go on to to keep performing. It's just like they wow. do amazing shows while they're in high school, and then they go like the work in the factory or wherever oh, you work. Yeah, yeah. And somehow by and I think it's it most maybe it started like the year before me. I think they did like pajama game or something. Mm. But uh, so for Hello Dolly, somehow all the football players and all the wrestlers were in the show. What they yeah. were all the waiters, and it continued. <gasps> it became like a cool thing to do. I think they That's also amazing. figured out that you would definitely get laid if you did the musical <laughs> showmances. Mm. I think they all. Figured out pretty quickly that uh, you were sure to at least get a makeout session if you did the musical. <laughs> I had a boyfriend every every year. We broke up within a month of, <laughs> of the show ending. You know, that's hilarious. Uh, the book's called Drama High. Just in case anyone wants to read it, it's really really interesting. Oh, I was like, why is she on her phone? Because I, I was so rude. rude. I know, really rude. But I was just <laughs> looking something up so I could let everybody know what the book was. I also was listening. To you. <laughs> No, no, I feel much better. But I was like, okay, maybe I'll look at my phone. <laughs> but I think I might, I might build that into my show, uh, set the alarm on my phone. And when it goes off, I'm like, okay, everyone, everyone, please look at your phone. <gasps> oh, that's a great idea. That's, I, oh, right. Full on. And I have no shame. I have no shame. But I have done a show. And at the end of the show, I've been like, oh, my God, I haven't looked at my phone in an hour. <laughs> I've been really amazed. Like, what yeah. was I doing? A show. That's why. That's why you haven't looked at your phone in an hour. And I also want to uh, um, 
I've been thinking a lot about as someone who is vaguely funny and says a lot of things on Facebook, whether they're funny or not, (laughs) sort of, um, I was having a debate in my head, how much material can I just repeat in person? Again, judging myself in my head, sort of like, what's the, what's the protocol for, should I just not put everything that I think or write online? Do I like save material for the live shows? Like what is... Acceptable is not the right word, but that's sort of what is the cross-pollination Venn diagram of material mm. that you write, that you put on Facebook, then will I, you know, will you get the side eye for using it in a live show? And ultimately I decided I'm just going to ask the audience that at the that's beginning of the show. That's a good question. I think, especially with like Twitter and all the comedians that are on Twitter, that that's probably a big question that ever, because a lot of times they you use it to test out jokes. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, then you're like, oh, nobody liked or favorited or retweeted, <laughs> yes. whatever. Yes. Um, throw it out, <laughs> you know. But, um, no, I think I think that's what it's for. I think it's to to see what's what's working and then to use it. No, but okay. I get what you're that's saying because I, I feel sometimes when I, like, have something that I, like, tweet and then I'm, like, talking mm-hmm. to someone and I'm like, oh, like, I have this story. I did. I tweeted about it. Did you already see it? Like, did I already tell you this story? Let me just tell it again. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I repeat because I mm. uh, I have a terrible memory, especially for who I've told what particular anecdote. Because I have a lot of my anecdotes sort of packaged in there, uh, <laughs> but I get a lot of uh, guff from a f- few friends in particular who are like, "Yes, Molly, we know, <laughs> we know, we know, we've seen your shows, and we know you." <laughs> That's great. So when did you move to New York? I moved to New York in 2000 to go to NYU. Oh, nice. Yep, yep. I went to, I was a musical theater reject. Cap 21 did not want me. So <laughs> Me too. I mean, not really? NYU, but any any musical theater program. <laughs> yeah, the I only auditioned for three, but. Oh, which ones? Yeah. Um, Ithaca, uh, Syracuse, and Illinois Wesleyan. I got into Illinois Wesleyan for vocal performance, though. Oh. Um, but. Not Where did you wind theater. up going? Illinois Wesleyan. And then I was a music ad major, and then I'm not teaching. <laughs> <laughs> I like this. I like yeah. turning the tables on you. So, Emily, where did you go to school? I dropped out of the new school after one year. Yes. <laughs> yes. I have no education. You have, edu- you have the school of hard knocks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, especially when it comes to theater, that we don't have this opportunity anymore. So, I mean, like... Training, yes, absolutely, especially technical voice and speech stuff. But it's like you learn on your feet. You right. don't, mm-hmm. you don't really learn how to work in the theater until you're actually working in the theater. Because I think that college, a lot of theater programs. Because I did go for uh, drama, just not musical theater. Mm-hmm. Prepare you for an ideal setting that doesn't exist oh, yeah. anywhere outside of college, yeah. and that. Um, because I've done solo work for like eight years with a production here and there intermittently, but I'm still, it's still very difficult for me, um, I guess for my temperament, the idea that theater is always down to the wire Mm. and it, there's always some crisis that makes it seem like we're never going to pull this off. Mm. And then we always do pull it off. But the, that, that journey that everyone around me seems very comfortable with, I still really, uh, really struggle with. And it, and it's, it maybe brings up a question. Maybe I, uh, am meant to be a solo performer where I can be a megalomaniac and control (laughs) every single aspect of it. Um, We'll see, but that's a new, that's a new uh, beast to wrestle with, and just how, um, yeah, you learn how to do theater by doing theater in the real world, and mm. totally working with uh, more seasoned performers and seeing how they field mm. situations and how they handle certain yeah. things, um, and what's oh god, I am fascinated <clears throat> by the incredibly fine line between. Um, uh, uh, what's the term I want? The other side of it is diva, but the one side of it being just actually asking for what I should have or mm. that I'm not being oh, a diva. Yeah. This is absolutely reasonable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how, and I applying to men and women, you know, but how it's very difficult to understand what is totally reasonable and what is being a diva because you will immediately be made to feel like you're behaving like a diva, absolutely. even if you're well within no. Yeah. Yeah, this absolutely needs to happen. Not because I'm being a diva, just because. Well, that's what I want. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, feel, I mean, I don't think anyone's ever accused us of being divas, but we've always been in like complete control over everything that we've done. And sometimes when people suggest like, oh, you should do this other thing. And we're like, no, because the, we don't want to give up. We're not willing to give up control. The one time, and it was the first big thing that we did that we didn't have control over what we were doing. It, uh, the interviews that we did have never oh. seen the light of day. Yep. <laughs> oh, this is true. <laughs> Secret interviews. Yeah. We interviewed the cast of Memphis at their Tony party. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. And the, it was like, we thought it was like our big break. Yeah. We were at, we were at, <laughs> we were at the Tony party for the, the Tony the winning, winning musical. musical. We were interviewing like the fucking stars and shit. Yeah. And <laughs> it was all for nothing. And the, the social media or whoever it was, the marketing team that ended up editing it and putting it together, who were, was not the people that approached us about it, like didn't get it and they were like what the fuck we were asking people questions like what's your address and should there be a puppet in this show (laughs) like do you think the show would be better with dogs like (laughs) like, we were like like if i was in your apartment tomorrow morning would you make me breakfast like we were asking people nonsense questions which is what we do and then everyone was like no you should ask them about well well we i mean we got a we've got approval not that yeah, we necessarily needed it. Yeah. But that's the point, I think, that it was yeah. like, and then we're like, okay, lesson learned. We always control the footage. Yeah. Always control the footage. We'll work with people. And we've worked with Paper Mill where like, mm. we obviously knew we had to sort of work within what they wanted mm-hmm. us to do, but we edited it. We put it together, our ideas. Yeah. yeah. But I think that is like, I mean, I th- that is something that I feel like I run into and like, you know, my day job life and like every aspect we were like, I don't think what I'm asking for is unreasonable. Like I'm asking for what I want and what I need for me and give it to me. And like, <laughs> and like I'm not being a bitch because I'm asking for it. It's yeah. What I need. Is, this is reasonable. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It's a tough one. How did you get started on that path to uh, being a neo neo retro cabaretist? Oh God! Don't you love my favorite? <laughs> don't you love the terms for categorizing? Yes. Well, part of yeah. why I did start doing cabarets because I, you know, in my twenties, I didn't uh, I didn't really know what I was doing. I had a couple managers in my twenties, but Most I didn't know us. what to do with me. So, <laughs> like, they didn't know what to do with me, and it was I think it was that case where it's like, well, she's clearly talented. But what are we going to do with her? Because mm. I have uh, the very, very low female baritone voice. So I think if I really, really worked hard at it, I could sing Annie Oakley. But my voice is like the top out of my belt is like one or two notes lower. And mm. that just it's astounding how much where my really powerful belt sits like rules me out of I can't even tell you how many roles. Mm. That you know, again, if I like really had like a voice lesson every other day and really, really worked on it, I could probably get it, but it's not something that's like, oh yeah, this is my vocal range doesn't fit into traditional casting. At least it won't until I'm um well, I'm starting to. I'm starting to uh age into roles. So um I went through a really, really, really terrible breakup in my twenties. And my friend said, you should do a cabaret show. And I said, okay. So I did my first one at Don't Tell Mama in 2007. Ray Fellman was at the piano. And my, my good friend Matt Sigel directed it. And um, I, had gone, I had been going to mostly Sondheim for a while and the after party. Do you guys remember the after party mm-hmm. at the Laura Beachman? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I had, uh, you know, sat and sat until two o'clock in the morning for my turn to get up and sing a song. Yeah. Oh my God, the hours. This is why I'm like, I have paid some dues. Yeah. I wish uh-huh. I had logged the amount of hours I sat at most of the time in the after party, patiently waiting, patiently waiting to be brought up in that prime hour between 12 and 1. That's like, that's like uh, open mic prime time, 12 to 1 on a Friday night. Um, so... Uh, uh, Adam Feldman from Time Out New York sort of took a leap of faith and came to the show at Don't Tell Mama and wrote a really great review of it. And um, I sort of built step by step from there because I liked I like the fact that I can change the key in cabaret and I'm yeah. not going to be judged for it. You know, if I sing X, Y, or Z and I'm not belting the C at the end, I'm belting an A instead, who really cares? Well, right. I... If you really care, please don't come to my shows because <laughs> it's not 
um, if you're looking for, you know, vocal pyrotechnics of a certain sort or uh, the screlting, don't come to my <laughs> show because you're not going to get it. And I like being able to uh, sing um, material that is uh, non-traditional for me, certainly for musical theater in terms of uh, gender or just um, unexpected. You know, like, oh, oh, there's that song. I did a show for four years called Our Hit Parade at Joe's Pub. Mm-hmm. And it was a quote-unquote top ten countdown of current pop songs. And the it was a rotating cast of artists from all kinds of disciplines, video um, artists and dance troops and Taylor Mack and um, Jesse Tyler Ferguson. So this huge cross-section, Bridget Everett, Kenny Melman. And Neil Medlin were the three uh, masterminds behind it. So that was, so for four years, every month, I got to pick a different current pop song and just perform it however however I reinterpreted it. So I was given a canvas to just try and fail and try and fail. And most of the video, a lot of the videos are available on YouTube. And a lot of them, some of them are like, that is great. Some of them are like, she is so scared right now. Some of them are like, you get an E for effort. Oh. And it, it the, the, the video of live performance is a, uh, also a weird thing because I don't, my performances are for a live audience. And for years, I never bothered to video my live performances. Because mm-hmm. I was like, if you're not here, you don't get to see the show. And I so I oftentimes don't like the idea. The, the, in the back of my head, there's a camera. There's a camera mm. recording this. Mm. There's a camera recording this. So this this number has to be perfect start to finish so you can put it on YouTube. Whereas if the camera wasn't there yeah, and I messed up. But it's come to my attention that I need to care about my career much as I don't <laughs> want to. <laughs> much as I just don't. I still don't have a mailing list. I, I think I set up a MailChimp mm-hmm. account, but I still don't have a mailing list. Mm. And this is not me bragging. This is just sort of like, Maybe I'm saying this on a podcast to shame myself into finally, <laughs> like, taking myself seriously. No, I mm. think we totally get that because we're, like, like weird shit. Like, at the end of our videos, we never put up, like, those buttons that say, like, subscribe to our channel because we're, like, that's obnoxious. Yeah. And then we're, like, why don't we have more followers? <laughs> that's why. Like, yeah. we need to get comfortable with being more, like, hey, watch our fucking shit, you guys. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, yeah. It was weird I was, sometimes. I was off Facebook for a year and a half. And went back on, rejoined. I was still on Twitter and Instagram. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) But I was not on Facebook for a year and a half and then rejoined last June after a big sea change in my life. And I think what my Facebook presence is, is very much Molly Pope in quotation marks. Sure. I guess it's, it's, I'm fast, I'm very interested in crafting myself as more of a brand in a social media presence. Absolutely. And then, you know, the stark, depressing reality. Let's just keep that to ourselves (laughs) and your podcast audience. (laughs) No, I think that is like some, the difference between like who you are in real life and the versions we put ourselves, uh, like how we want the world to see us through our social media presence is like, like terrifying too, because sometimes I like put out a bunch of things on Twitter mostly. And then I'm like, Oh my God. But like, if you, if you read this one tweet out of context of like my entire stream of consciousness on like you would think I was a fucking crazy person, but like, if you know my sense of humor, then maybe you would, you would totally get what I'm saying, but it, yeah, no, it constantly terrifies me. Yeah. yeah, and then at a certain point, it seems like enough people start to get your voice because it's absolutely uh, reading things. How you know, some things are just funny, no matter what, and you don't need to hear. It, but uh, it's being able to hear in your head the person say it that makes it funny because you understand that person mm. well enough. And I also, I uh, my social, I don't use Facebook for personal stuff at all like I my mom has friend requested me several times <laughs> I'm like mom you don't you don't want to read what I'm putting out there and I love you but you know and uh I, I'm friends with my sister but there's very you know there's very little interaction because I think it's like okay this is just Molly's thing and we'll just <laughs> let her do that but two of my two of my cousin's uh daughters follow me on Instagram mm-hmm. and they are um one of them I think is going on 20 but the other's like 13 and I'm like oh Ah, yeah, what? yeah. Because uh, I'm committed to being unfiltered on social media, uh, for better or for worse. But that's certainly 
gives me pause. And mm. then I guess ultimately I'm like, I'm 33 years old. Yeah. She knows I'm 33 years old. And this is my life at 33 years old. I'm not in any way, shape, or form trying to present anything I'm doing as something she should be doing. Right. But, right. you know, Instagramming the Elaine Stritch Memorial Flask and saying right. something <laughs> about carrying this around with me maybe is not. I'm 33. I'm allowed to do things like yeah. that. You're not going to get in trouble, Molly. You're not going to get in trouble. Yeah. It, it was actually, I think, when we started doing stuff with Memphis that we started um, – Editing out our fucks. Our fucks. Yeah. For, our, oh. We went through a, we've gone through like, we like didn't edit out our fucks and then we did edit out our fucks. And now like a, like six months ago, I was like, I don't want to edit out our fucks anymore. I'm done with it. Like people can hear fuck. <laughs> and then somebody commented <laughs> on one of our videos fuck. and was like, excuse me, ladies, I think you're old enough to not say fuck anymore. I don't even and we think, were like, fuck no, no, no. you. <laughs> the thing is, I think that was even one of the videos that were edited, but like, it's still, it's like right. one of those like, we're like, you know, we're saying fuck. Right. We're right. Just, we're took just the sound out. We took the sound out or we added a beep. So what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> you know? You know what we're yeah. saying. But, you know, and a lot of our uh, our followers, listeners, watchers, whatever you want to call them, are young kids. Yeah. But they're also like theater kids who are probably listening to passion and rent and yeah, they know things, that are, <laughs> things that yeah. they aren't necessarily, quote unquote, appropriate for them anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I think my uh, my like one big thing on that realm is pot. <laughs> Talking about pot. Oh, oh, yeah. Don't open the can of worms. <laughs> back away, everyone. Let's just leave it there and let's back away. Let's back away. That's funny. How we sort of touched on this a little bit, but like, how do you pick? what you're going to perform mm. you're when you it took me a long time to figure out you were singing smash mouth walking on the sun in in one of your shows because i was like why is this song so this is what is this song it's it sounds so much more brilliant like your arrangement of it where i was like this is actually a really good song it's not like mm. a dumb smash mouth song <laughs> well that that particular song that was for an hour hit parade and i got a lot of great material from our hit parade mm. because I would sometimes pick a song that I purposely like could not stand. Oh. Could not stand because sometimes you can, sometimes it is as much as like when I sat down and read the lyrics to Walking on the Sun, I was like, oh, these are actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. A lot these of times. good lyrics. The problem is the artist who recorded it. I did uh, a version combining Rihanna's We Found Love, which I originally wanted to do, set uh, in no man's land during World War One. <laughs> Amazing. But that right, didn't... You're obsessed with World War One, aren't you? I am. Yes. <laughs> we gotta talk about that too. If it's possible <laughs> to have a favorite world war. <laughs> uh, um, or it's just like World War One has a special place in my heart. Nice. I don't I don't really know how to express it in a way that isn't as, as somehow offensive. Um, but uh, I combined Rihanna's We Found Love with Lil Wayne's How to Love. And Lil Wayne's How to Love is, I found it, learning that song was really difficult because I, I whatever auto, I, like it was, it was difficult to listen to. Or I used to do um, Marilyn Manson's Dope Show. Oh. And learning that song was difficult because I don't like, I don't like the actual. <laughs> exactly. I'm ma- surprise, surprise. Marilyn Manson is not exactly my cup of tea. So sometimes it's hard to learn the songs because I, I find them it. unenjoyable. Um, I, where I am right now, I working on this show. I'm sort of of two, of two minds. Am I just going to pick? like 15 songs I really want to sing and figure out how the chips fall or am I trying to create some kind of narrative or mm. storyline? Yeah. Cause I, I, it, I also, in terms of the bits or stuff between the songs, sometimes I think about that entirely separately and then I'll bring the songs and the different bits together. I use, uh, 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 index cards and mm-hmm. I'll write the title of all the songs and then like the blurb of what all the bits are and then sit down on the floor and rearrange that. Cause I also, <clears throat> I really love transitions from text into song that have nothing to do with each other. Yeah. <laughs> that's not, yeah. that's not, I'm setting up this song, mm, right. but I think sometimes then I shoot myself in the foot because it's like, Molly, you can like set up a scenario and then sing a song that relates to that scenario. It doesn't always have to be these sharp left turns. Um, so that's where I am right now with this particular show. I think I sort of, uh, 
Well, I have um, almost eight years of, of material. And I did those shows last August where I tried to do a different show every week. Mm-hmm. And I'm, uh, it's kind of like, oh, wow, there actually was some, not that I didn't think so at the time, but now I'm like, oh, right, that thing that I did that one time that I think I need to revisit mm. and tweak and adjust a little bit. But there, uh, there's something to be mined there. And then just songs I really love and have wanted to sing and haven't, haven't found their way into a show. I do take suggestions on occasion <laughs> of, oh, you should sing this song. Um, you have a wealth of material from those those shows in August because there was a lot of great fucking stuff in there. There was, was a that, lot of stuff in that, there. That uh, uh, there was a share song you sang with Dark Mac- Lady. Oh my god, that when you when I realized what was happening in that matchup, <laughs> I was like, "This is so fucking brilliant. These songs work together perfectly." Like stuff that I net, you know, like, yeah. Well, and never that thought. that well, what we haven't talked about, and I'm glad you brought that up because it. I would be extremely remiss if I didn't talk about the various music directors I've worked Mm. with who are, I mean, they make me look so much more talented than I am. (laughs) And over the years I've worked with Ray Fellman and Kenny Melman and Trapper Felitas and Sonny Palladino and Brian Nash and Joshua Stephen Cardis and Lance Horn and Drew Wutke. I think, I hope that covers most of them because I, don't want to leave. And then, you know, like in random instances, like Mark Hartman, Mark Hartman and I, I did the Cindy Lauper show at 54 below mm-hmm. and they wanted me to do girls just want to have fun. And I said, why, like, <laughs> why can't we do this as a group number? I don't want to do this song because it's so iconic. And then, um, I've always, so I have always wanted to do something involving Puritan women. And first I thought I wanted to do love is like a heat wave. <laughs> As as uh, oh. as a Salem witch, but then, <laughs> but then I realized. Um, <laughs> then I started thinking about Hester Prynne mm-hmm. and Abigail Williams, and I was like, they just wanted to have fun. Yes. So I did the song as uh, as a combination of of Hester Prynne and Abigail Williams. But after sort of, uh, we were we were in the room with Mark, and I was like, I t- explained to him the idea and trying to figure it out, and I said, wait. Start playing the theme to Law and Order. So he started playing that, and then I started singing the song over it. And it was just like being able to say to him, can you play the theme from Law and Order? And then that just happening. Or um, the Dark Lady, that was Brian Nash, that I wanted to sing Dark Lady. And he uh, he sort of started to play Cell Block Tango at the end. Like that was entirely his idea. Or working with Lance Horn recently, um, I was singing The Days of Wine and Roses, and Lance is aware of my undying adoration of Jerry Herman, which is no surprise. He's the only man I trust exclamation points from. Everyone else is like, you don't mean that, but you know who does mean an exclamation point? is Jerry Herman. Um, and so we got to sort of the, the bridge section of Days of Wine and Roses, or where there would be a musical break, and Lance started to play I Won't Send Roses. And I was like, what? And I, I that one, I just started to cry. <laughs> you know, I think that it, you, a lot of times singers need to give themselves that run through in rehearsal where you just mm. cry with a song and mm. just have that experience. Um, so there are amazingly talented music directors out there who make things happen on the turn of a dime and have the wealth of knowledge. Like Brian Nash, I could say, I want this to sound like many a new day on the second national tour of Oklahoma. And he knows exactly what that means. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, or, you know, Kenny has said, Kenny Melman has said to me, you need to sing this song and I don't want to. And then he's like, no, we're just, we're going to sing this song. And he's always right. Yeah. He's always right. Yeah. That's fantastic. What are you singing tonight at 54 Below that we're going to hate ourselves for missing? Um, it's a Mac and Mabel we're show. We're all going to miss it because this isn't going... Yep. Today, when this you're hearing this, it's Thursday and you've missed oh, the show. You missed the show. <laughs> but you already hate yourself. Tonight, um, I'm going to do the uh, also called Mac and Mabel little snippet of a duet with Brian Charles Rooney. We're sort of... Uh, and then I'm doing um, Mabel's I Won't Send Roses reprise, which is... <sighs> pretty tremendous but guys i can't here we go i'm gonna get real real with you i can't belt that d on sir walter raleigh i don't expect yeah. i can't belt that d and i'm i don't know sir, how i'm gonna handle it because the thing is, is <laughs> traditionally you save the soprano moment for the limb of out mm. on a limb which is the next phrase i'm like i don't know 
I don't, we'll see. I don't Music know. words. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> Those aren't real. I'm not a technical musician whatsoever. Uh, so I'll be singing those two this evening. And then Sondheim is just coming up. Right. Yes. Sondheim I have my is. ticket. Emily's out of town. I know I'm out of town. I don't even don't. remember what day it is. It's March 21st. It's at 1130 at yeah. night. What? <laughs> okay. I shouldn't complain. We've had late. It? It's a Saturday. And oh. we've had late shows on this weeknights. So who yeah. am I to complain? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be there. Oh God, everybody I didn't go get to go last year. Tell me how much I suck. That is, there. that show. Oh, is that was the show that made us. Emily came, like I told me about night. it and she was like, oh my God, yeah. Molly Poe. Right. No, do you want to know why it was so <laughs> impressive? Because I had two backup boys. It seriously it has nothing to do. It has to do with surrounding yourself with, um, I mean, 99% of the time surrounding myself with incredibly talented gay men. Mm. And that's like not even a joke. That's, <laughs> that's, that's like legitimately, if I look at my career, that is what I have done consistently. And uh, it does seem to have worked because I had, um, I had the, t- uh, when I did me in my town, which nobody really does because you need at right. least one backup person to do yeah. it with you. So it was that, it's that magical thing of any time more than one, I know, I feel like it's more than two people are coordinatedly doing a musical number on mm-hmm. stage. It yeah. just like bumps it up a notch because duets are great <laughs> and wonderful. But then as soon as there's like a third person <laughs> and maybe it's that you're like, wow, they had to schedule rehearsals. <laughs> so they had impressed. to like coordinate their schedules and work into this yeah. to learn with this the pianist, together. It's like with the musical director, everybody had to, but, everybody had to which is out. Out. Like yeah. it's difficult to make it's happen. Very diff- it's yeah. very difficult. Yeah, it's very difficult. Yeah, no, I remember at Sunheimus last year. I was just like, "Does everybody know about this? What's happening?" <laughs> I feel like everyone in my circle of of like friends and humans, like after Sunheimus last year, we were all like, "Why didn't we know?" Because now we know. I'm a dark horse, <laughs> which yeah. I may open the show with on on Friday. Oh. Because that's why, or I was like, God, I hate this song. Yeah. Can I do it in a way that I don't hate I it? Love that idea of taking yeah. a song that you hate and I really only it do it with contemporary pop songs. Yeah. I think sort of. Well, maybe I should try to do it with something in the musical theater canon. Well, how did the I Dreamed a Dream oh, like that be? came about? Because I was doing Murray Hill's Oscar show at Joe's Pub, mm. whatever you know, two years ago or whatever, and. So all the entertainment for stuff like when you do like a live Oscars show or a live whatever show, it all has to fit within a commercial break. Sure. So Murray said, I want you to sing this song. And I said, Murray, this song doesn't fit within a commercial break. (laughs) And I said, all right, then we're going to swing it and we're going to take it up tempo. (laughs) So it was literally to fit the song within the amount of time. Like the three minutes of a commercial break. Yeah, the three minutes of a commercial break. But then that just seems to me like that's how Madame Armfeld would have sung it. Ah, yes. Like... Like, what if this woman actually had the best time and is perfectly fine with her choices <laughs> and is just sitting on her estate in the Swedish countryside with like, Frid, yes. um, brilliant, talking to Frederica about Frid. Did she call her that in the Frid. show, or is that no? Like Frid you- is Frid isn't Frid her butler? No, mm. or is Frid in Chekhov? Oh, I guess I'm such I a theater know. nerd. You said Frid, and then you said Frederica, and I was like, Frid. did you just give her daughter a nickname? No, <laughs> like, there's a missed joke, right? <laughs> oh my God, that 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 was yeah. I loved that version of that song. It's fucking brilliant. Yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> it is super fun to just like undercut, and also I, to mm. do it to an audience who. Uh, knows the song well enough because there's at one point where I think the audience catches up right before I sing like in exuberance so different from this hell I'm living. So it's like by that point they're like, this is going to be great if I may flatter myself. I mean, those moments in in cabaret shows are always exciting, especially when it's, when you don't expect it. But when, when the audience together all Mm. realize what song is being performed. And it's like one thing when it's just straight up, as composed, right. show key, whatever you want to say. And then at some point everybody's like, <gasps> but then when it's like that twist on it and then everybody's like, oh my God, this is crazy. Yeah. You're singing that song, but this way. Yep. Yeah. There's, yeah, it's, I forget that there's a lot of, uh, that I have, uh, cause now I wanted to, I like, I don't think you guys have seen me do La Isla Bonita. <gasps> no. Which I... Combined with so. sections of Catherine's monologue from suddenly last summer. Because <laughs> I was, that, that was one of my first favorite songs. My first favorite professed song was uh, True Love. 
that mm. really early Madonna song. Mm. And True then, love. Yeah. <laughs> I, maybe I should sing yeah. that one. There's probably not enough substance. That's another mm. thing is I have to, you have to sort of very judiciously look at the songs and figure well, out if there is enough yeah. substance to do anything. A lot of those early with. Madonnas are like real simple. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> real, real simple. She didn't have her uh, Avita voice lessons yet. So. <laughs> God, I don't even know why. I cried so hard when I saw that movie. Amazing. I had a major cathartic experience. I thought it I, was brilliant. I mean, I, when I saw it, I didn't know Evita. And I saw it and I was too. like, great movie. Then I <laughs> discovered the original cast recording of Evita. And then I like rewatched a couple of like scenes on YouTube, like after that and like flipped a table and was like, why are the keys like this? Well, also, why is she a victim in the movie? Because she's totally well, playing yeah. for a victim, which is probably why I had such an emotional response because I didn't really know the show right. and had no idea that, you know, Ava was a belter. <laughs> because she's Madonna, which is interesting to me because you could so easily make Madonna a, a villain. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I'm like hating on Madonna right now. I have no problem I mean, with Madonna. She wanted to stretch really, your but... acting muscles, but no need, honey. Yeah. <laughs> You're there. Yeah. You're there. You're there. Well, let's talk really quickly about um, Horsefly. Oh, yeah. Okay. Even yeah. though nobody can go see it because nope. you missed closed. it. But we fucking loved it. It was amazing. It was Thanks. so good. Also because like we're both nerds and are like, this woman's so fucking interesting. Why yeah. don't we know all about her? And I think also we see a lot of shows that cover like a big expanse of someone's life history. And oh, that's really fucking hard to do successfully. And I thought that I was like, we got so much information and it wasn't clunky and it didn't feel like mm-hmm. we were like... Uh, there's so much information or anything any of those yeah. things we always feel when we see life story shows um yeah it was fucking great that's all no question yeah oh, okay i didn't have a question Thanks. yeah all right Good. it also another thing we usually hate that we liked about this show <laughs> it was like a, a an, an acting troupe sort of feel yes to true. It, we hate acting was playing multiple stuff. characters yeah. and there were all the costumes <clears throat> on the side and those things usually feel real hokey to us and it just really worked i yeah. think um not a, you can't say enough things about all of the actors in that show because yeah. there was a level of talent that uh, and then he kissed me <laughs> sorry <laughs> you know just re- her next door rehearsal room that you <laughs> that you the audience can't hear nope. <laughs> uh, so the level of talent brought to the table by all of the actors was such that um, you know we could just sort of like skip ahead several steps so when approaching a scene You know, the bits that were created, you know, things that just immediately gelled and happened. And the whole thing, because several people said to me, you know, it was at the Ellen Stewart. So, uh, and there literally no offstage space. So, you know, just all the props and costumes visible on either side. And a lot of people commented to me on the fact that they weren't distracted by Mm -mm. the amount of business. And I said, well, I think because in this case, as opposed to other productions that I won't specifically name, that these are actors who have something to accomplish. This is not about like, look at me, put on this jacket. This is, I need to put on this jacket because I have to be on stage in two Mm -hmm. seconds. Or so there was no, there was no, that just was what it was. Cause it's like, if there were, I think because everything was handled in a way that there could have very well been, you know, curtain legs right. masking the off stage. It wasn't treated as stage space. Right? Right. Yeah, it was Flourish just this is, while I put this. It was on. all of necessity. Yeah. yeah, it was all very mm-hmm. much. We don't have off stage, so here's our off stage, and we're just going to be going about our business because we have to, not because we want to make it any kind of stylized part of the production. But then it actually did. Yeah, because we didn't go about it like that. Mm-hmm. How much research, if any? did you do and were you able to do because there's so much speculation about Ada's life? Yeah. Ada Isaacs Mencken. Right. Um, I, the most sort of trustworthy biography is called a dangerous woman. Um, I think it was written by a husband and wife last name Foster because there's, you know, she was born in new Orleans in the 1830s. There literally is no record of her birth or wow. anything that can be definitively said. Yes, this relates to this woman. Hmm. So, uh, and that was a pattern that, you know, she actively perpetuated throughout the rest of her life and used it to uh, spin particularly her uh, her origins and her family roots in ways that served her best in whatever particular circumstance she was in. So there are also, there are so many books out there about her that are just wildly untrue. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I read The Foster and I read uh, most of, there's another biography called Mazeppa, and we'll get to that because that's <laughs> one of my favorite things. But the nature of the way the play was written and the way she lived her life that, you know, I read some Byron, I read some Whitman, I read some mm-hmm. of her poetry because I also wanted mm-hmm. to get a sense of the cultural milieu in which sure. she was working. Because, you know, she, she was friends with all of these people. Um, but the way the play was written, I I don't know. And I actually, it made me think of when Streisand played Fanny Bryce. Mm-hmm. That sort of, I have no footage of her. I have descriptions of her, mm-hmm. but it's very difficult to play quote unquote captivating. I'm like, well, how, <laughs> how do I just magically become, she, you know, she was referred to as, you know, the most irresistible woman in the world. And I was like, okay, Molly, go. <laughs> like, like be that. <laughs> but so I don't, I didn't know how much use I would get out of reading about, unless it was something, you know, very specific, like she did smoke. So there were a lot of times that I was smoking and, you know, mm-hmm. the gestures that come along with smoking. But, uh, um, what's the point I'm trying to make? I sort of took the play at face value. Mm. Where, and, you know, thinking about Barbara Streisand, like, did, did she have footage of Fanny Bryce? Like, how mm. much is Streisand's Fanny Bryce an, either an actual reflection of Fanny Bryce or an attempt to actually behave like Fanny Bryce? And I mean particularly in, you know, the scenes in Funny Girl that aren't performative scenes, mm-hmm. that are, you know, the fight with Nick or whatever. You know, that's... It's, I think of it in the same way that now there's so many more resources. Like if I was playing funny girl, I have hours, I can't because it's too high for me, but I have like hours of footage of Fanny Bryce that I could watch to really mimic her actual mannerisms and her actual style of speaking, you know, and there's no, there's no audio recording of Ada Isaacs Mencken. And one of the most interesting things about her is some reviews, you know, one called her the worst actress on Broadway (laughs) and then other reviews were absolute raves. And I wonder if it's because she rose to prominence right sort of at that time when acting styles were changing from the very bombastic presentational to more naturalistic, like maybe she was just very much ahead of her time mm. in terms of a naturalistic approach to text. And that's why a lot of critics panned her because it wasn't what they were used to. And other critics were like, this is inspired. This mm. is amazing. But the only way she really comes down to present day culture is in the stripper Mazeppa in Gypsy. <laughs> she Ada became most famous for playing uh, a role in drag, the Polish prince Mazeppa, who in the melodrama was stripped quote unquote naked live on stage, then tied spread eagle on the back of a horse, a live horse that then like ran up a stage mountain. Now Ada was actually wearing a body stocking, but to audiences in the 1860s, to have a woman dressed as a man be having clothes ripped off of her by men on a stage (laughs) and then tied with your legs spread wide open over a horse's ass. Like it was, Mm -hmm. it was a lot. (laughs) So she's, um, you know, I'm sure that there are, a couple other figures around the same time period that you could trace the roots of burlesque to, but she certainly um, is one of the foremothers of burlesque. Mm. And uh, I, I, I guess I would be interested. Maybe you guys would know where I could read about it. Sort of, if there is any any information on wh- who decided to call that stripper Mazeppa or mm. how, That's a like good who, question. or maybe it wasn't that big of a deal because maybe you know, yeah. I have back then she was still much more a part of the cultural consciousness. I have finishing the hat. Maybe it's in there. I don't have look I made a hat. I only I have, have the first book. Sondheim's oh like lyrics book. Kick her off but, the podcast. She doesn't have either of them. So. Really? David Levy got me the um which volume, but the English cover when he was in London. Oh. So in our household we have That's two copies funny. of each volume. <laughs> oh. What's the That's English amazing. cover? I think that though both those books, the US prints are Beautiful. I want them just because I... I need a coffee a, table libra, first. Librophile? What's the word? Did I make Bibliophile. That? Bibliophile. There it is. I was like, that's not the right word. <laughs> I think um, of librophiles when you're just really into Libras. Libras, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a bibliophile. So just having... I think it's a beautifully printed book, but also I like Stephen Sondheim. Oh, beautifully printed. I don't yeah, know. Bibliophile is just being obsessed with books. That's true. But all aspects, I guess. I don't know. Patty loves books. I love books. Me too. And printing. <coughs> uh, but I don't know. I don't. That's an interesting question. I'll look at. Yeah. I'll look and see if it 
says anything in there about it. Yeah, just... Yeah. But, you know, again, maybe however long ago, uh, she was still much more part of the cultural Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it's clearly a, a hat tip to that because I knew nothing about her and all I knew was Gypsy. And I was like, oh, Mazeppa, that must be why that stripper was named that in right, Gypsy. Right. Yeah, and she's like yeah. a warrior. Yeah. 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 I loved I thought one of the most interesting parts about the show was how because of a lot of things that like going on in our culture right now as far as like women's rights and like I'm always like trying to like I hate slut shaming so much and like stuff like that and watching the show I was like oh my god like so many things in her life were happened because society was like women shouldn't be having sex and women shouldn't enjoy sex and it was like especially after we like went home and were like she died when she was 33 because in the show we were watching you know I wasn't quite sure like how old she was yeah. and shit, man. When, when I was like, she was 33, I was like devastated. Yeah. And I'm that. 33. So it's sort of, <laughs> yeah, but it's sort of like trying to conceive of packing that much life yeah. into 33 years. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, stuff that wasn't in the show was she was arrested and taken to Washington accused of being a Confederate spy. What? Now the other thing is, did she plant that rumor for the publicity? Mm. Which is where we'll never know, yeah. but like she legitimately would have done that because, in terms of modern celebrity, and again, I know that there are other people doing the same thing, but the way she manipulated press and basically really understood there is no such thing as bad press. And then another huge thing about her was um, her rise to prominence was right when photos started being printed on paper, so mm. moving away from the daguerreotype. Mm. So everywhere she went, every town, she had her portrait taken. And handed out photos of herself. So she was actually <laughs> recognizable in a way that few people were up till mm. that point. Because, you know, yeah. creating photographs was so much cheaper. And mm. it was so much easier to just, you know, widely disseminate them. Like the really scandalous pictures of her taken with Alexandre Dumas. Right. Did she, what, was she actually outraged? Did they actually leak? It's very murky. Right. Hmm. It's definitely, uh, I think a lot of the times things that are happening right now, as far as like celebrity culture, people are like, oh my God, like what have we done? Like our society's so fucked up. And I'm like, guys, this has always been like this. Oh, <laughs> like there's it's a- literally <laughs> always been like this. We, this is not new whatsoever. There's an Edith Wharton quote, which is kind of obnoxious coming from her, but uh, (laughs) the world is a welter and always has been. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you know though that Edith Wharton's family were the Joneses of keeping up with the Joneses? Well, yeah, that's not surprising. Which is why I'm like, Edith, your world was never a welter. You came from a lot of money, you spent your life in a lot of money. And while I do appreciate your writing immeasurably, it's like, um, when I found that out, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. yeah. Edith Wharton's family were the Joneses of keeping up with the Joneses. Well, yeah. And on that note. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Ethan Frome now. Uh, I've, only read, I've only read the, the House of Mirth and I hated it. Oh. But I was like 14, so I should probably sure. reread it. Yeah. I and saw I that like, movie that Gillian oh, Anderson right. of was course. in. That's why yeah, I said. love Gillian Anderson yeah. a lot. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I have a problem with being unsympathetic to stupid people. This is a felt, problem Patty has. I just all felt the like time. I was like, "Get it together, girl." She like walked out of Merrily We Roll Along and was like, "You're all idiots." No, I wasn't. That's not little, true. I was mostly bit. trying to convince myself not to turn into Mary Flynn. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I walked I also, out of it and was like, Patty, it's our time coming like, through. Oh. <laughs> so I have to stop drinking well, immediately. That's, sort of like, that's like if I find myself in a position where like push is coming to shove, I say to myself, Molly, don't be that girl in America's next top model who starts crying and goes home. Oh, that's sort of yes. that's the that is that's mm. like the bar under which I never mm. want to yeah. sink. Yeah. There's always gonna be a nude shoot. There's always going to be a nude shoot. There's always going to be a shoot involving heights. Somebody, There's always going to be a shoot involving animals. Somebody's going to make like, you cut your hair. You just have to deal with it. Somebody's going to make you just take that weave out. And you're not going to want anyone to play. I just got these extensions. Don't cry. Don't give in. You can do this. Yeah. Fantastic. Actually, on that note. Yeah. <laughs> You have a show on Friday. I do. Molly Pope likes your status. And Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th at 9.30 p.m. at the Duplex. 
um, the duplex has introduced a new ticketing system oh. that your, your listeners may actually be interested in. It's called Purple Pass. Um, you mm. have to use a credit or debit card, even if you purchase in person. So, you know, the duplex up until now has been you make reservations. Um, and unfortunately, there is an inescapable service fee mm. of like $2, even if you buy in person at the duplex. Mm. But know that uh, there's a new ticketing system called Purple Pass. Um, I hopefully maybe we'll get the show on my website up on my website, but I think my website is over a year out of date now. <laughs> so find me on the Facebook or Twitter, and I apologize in advance. What's your, your www dot, Oh, my website. I won't give that because it's pointless. <laughs> Molly MollyDePope.com. Uh, on Twitter, I miss Molly Pope, mm-hmm. and on Facebook, I'm just Molly Pope. And then on Instagram, my favorite of the social media platforms, I'm Ms. Molly Pope. Oh. Mystery for Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> and this is going to be monthly. Monthly. I, yeah, the second well, Friday yeah. of every Fantastic. month at okay. 9.30. Great. Yeah. yeah. So if you can't make it this Friday, next one. month. Yeah, whatever yeah. that date is. <laughs> I, don't know. I believe it's the 10th. <laughs> All right. All right. Have a good okay. day. Bye, guys. Bye. That's our show. Until next week, you can follow us on Twitter at, at Patty, the letter N, Emily, Patty, N, Emily. You can follow us individually at Patty with Y and at Emily Faye Oakley and find us anywhere else on the internet by searching Patty and Emily. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, rate us and leave us a comment and we'll read it on the show. Send us your topic suggestions, questions, dreamcasts, etc. And in the meantime, go, go see live theater. theater.